For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. The unsurpassed, profound, and wondrous Dharma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas. Now I can see and hear it, accept and maintain it. May I unfold the meaning of the Tathagata's truth. Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me now? Uh, so for new people, I'm Taigen Layton, the guiding Dharma teacher at Ancient Dragon Zen Gate. I want to uh, speak today about one of the great teachers in our uh, lineage, in our family style, Hongzhou Zhongzhui. So uh, Yesterday afternoon, I gave a three-and-a-half-hour seminar about Hongzhou and his teachings. Several of you were there. Uh, for those of you who were, I'm going to be speaking about different, uh, different parts, different material. And I'm focusing on uh, my book, Cultivating the Empty Field, which is um, translations, introduction and translations of Hongzhou. I actually translated it um, back in 87, 88, 1987, last century. Um, and uh, yeah, um, Hongzhou is an important teacher for us. So uh, just briefly to introduce him, he lived 1091 to 1157. He uh, founded a large temple on Mount Jiantong, which at one point had 1,200 students. Uh, that uh, Mount Chantong was the same place where Dogen, who brought this tradition from China to Japan, where Dogen met his teacher, Chantong Rujing. And um, uh, so uh, um, in some ways there's a direct connection. And uh, in terms of official Dharma lineage, Hongzhou is... Dogen's great great Dharma uncle. Um, so uh, his he was by far the most important teacher in the Chinese Soto lineage in the 1100s. Uh, in Chinese, Soto is pronounced Cao Dong. C a o d o n g is the way it's transliterated. Anyway, he's he, Dogen refers to him and quotes him many times in his extensive record and sometimes in Shobogenzo. His other writing. So what I want to do today, just by way of introduction, is to read some selections, ones that I didn't get to yesterday, from Cultivating the Empty Field. These are uh, what I call practice instructions. Uh, the, they're actually hogo, dharma words, is the formal title of this, this uh, one of nine sections in uh, in Hongzhou's extensive record. So uh, I'm just going to j- jump in and then we'll have a discussion afterwards. Um, 
for those of you who have the book and want to follow along, uh, the first one I'm going to read is, when I find it, is on, no, that's not it. Um, well, maybe it is. Okay. Um, it's, it's the one that is on page 39 that I titled, I gave the titles to these selections, Buddha, Flowers, Leaves, Roots, and Dusts. The way is not what the ancestors transmit. Before the ancestors come, it already pervades the whole environment. Emptiness is inherently without characteristics. Spirituality cannot be imitated. On its own, illumination emerges from causes and conditions. Constantly living apart from surface appearances is called being the ancestors. Simply certify and unite with it. You cannot be handed it. All Buddhas arrive here and regard this as the ultimate. They respond to transformation and disperse their bodies as flowers, leaves, roots, and dusts. Wisdom enters the three times and the 10,000 changes do not, do not disturb, do, and, the, and the three, I'm sorry, and the 10,000 changes do not disturb us. Wisdom enters the three times and the 10,000 changes do not disturb us. Each dust is not outside us. This marvel is beyond the vast thousands of classical texts. So where could you hold on to the shadowy world? So um, yesterday and today I'm having the opportunity, which I have not had so often, or at least not in a long time, to actually comment on these teachings. So I want to say some things about this. He talks about the ancestors in this section and in many other sections. So this refers to, uh, well, the, many things. It refers, refers to the uh, ancestors in our particular lineage, the Dharma ancestors, um, uh, that uh, in, in our lineage that goes back, goes back to Shakyamuni Buddha, to Bodhidharma, to the sixth ancestor, and to Dongshan in China in the 800s, who was considered the founder of the Soto lineage, and other great teachers before him, like Shuto or Sekito, whose harmony of difference and sameness and grass roof hut we, we chant, and later teachers, many teachers before Hongzhe in the 1100s, and then Dogen in the 1200s, and then many, many great Japanese teachers up to Suzuki Roshi, who brought this to California, my, my teacher's teacher. So the ancestors refers to, um, you know, our family style, our, our particular lineage and particular style of teaching. And, um, and there's a kind of consistency to that. I also translated Dongshan from the 800s uh, some, and commented on him in my book, Just This Is It, Dongshan and the Practice of Secessionists. And so much of what Dongshan is, uh, says is echoed in the teachings of Hongzhe and Suzuki Roshi and my teacher and Dogen. Uh, so uh, there's a kind of consistent family style. But that aside, ancestors has many connotations. We each have um, cultural ancestors. We, of course, we have genetic ancestors. Um, 
our great grandparents and our great 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 grandparents. And um, I sometimes watch Finding Your Roots with Henry Louis Gates Jr. and he finds ancestors of notable people and and there are many interesting stories. Um, going sometimes going back. One person he he tra- traced back to Charlemagne. <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, um, so we have many different kinds of ancestors. I see some musicians here, and you can think about your musical ancestors or cultural ancestors. Anyway, at one point, though, in Cultivating the Empty Field, uh, Hongzhou says that all beings are your ancestors. So we're all interconnected and interdependent. We are all... Um, the source for each other. But here in this passage, the Hongzhou says, the way is not what the ancestors transmit. Before the ancestors come, it already already pervades the whole environment. So uh, this uh, quality of awakeness, always sometimes called Buddha, or Buddha heart, or Buddha mind, is here from the very beginning. And this is also something that is um, very much part of the family style of Saodong or Soto Zen, um, and that runs through it. Um, so, uh, as he says here, um, spirituality cannot be imitated. <clears throat> On its own, elimination emerges from causes and conditions. So, each of you has various causes and conditions in your life that led you to uh, engage in Zen practice even if this is your first time here or if you're just starting that. Um, there are many causes and conditions which uh, affect who we are and many and everything we do are causes and conditions for things in the future, the so-called future. Um, so uh, the practice is not to discover, he talks a lot about returning to the source, the source not being like Shakyamuni or a creator deity, but the source right now right now is uh, are the ancestors uh, in the future are the ancestors uh, as well as in the past so uh, returning to this allow uh, uh, allowing illumination to emerge as he talks about here um, he says in this passage again all Buddhas arrive here and regard this as the ultimate they respond to transformations and dispense their bodies as flowers leaves roots and dusts. So the ancestors and the source of our teaching and of awakening uh, is our environment, is the natural world, which we are part of, of course. We are not separate from the natural world, although we, although humans in our, in our epoch tend to think so. Um, but he says they disperse their bodies as flowers, leaves, roots, and dusts. Um, so he also says this marvel is beyond the vast thousands of classical texts. So where could you hold up, uh, hold on to the shadowy world? Um, so, you know, as I was saying, we tend to think of the environment as something out there separate from us, but we are totally part of this world. We are expressions of grasses and trees and mountains and waters. Um, so, um, uh, is reference to the classical texts. Of course, we do. Here, I'm talking about one of the classical texts, and we do in our branch of Soto Zen. 
This is a Russian lineage. We do study the sutras, the uh, ancient texts, and the koans and the classical Zen writings. But it's not about uh, discovering something from them or getting some understanding. The point is just that these texts um, can inspire us, can encourage our practice. So Hongzhi particularly uses nature imagery, uses references to Chinese culture and to Buddhist uh, sources. And uh, his his writing is very evocative and poetic. So uh, often Zen writings are in poetry because it go, goes beyond our usual subject for object, object discursive language. Um, so uh, that's a little bit on that uh, on that section. And at the end, if you have questions, we will, we'll have time for discussion. But I'm just going to go through a, uh, several of these uh, little passages of Hongzhi's. So um, the next one I'm going to talk about uh, is the one right after that on page 40. It's, uh, the title I gave it was The Backward Step and the Upright Cauldron. So I'll read the whole thing. It's a little bit long. With the depths clear, utterly silent, thoroughly illuminate the source, empty and spirited, vast and bright, even though you have lucidly scrutinized your image and no shadow or echo meets it, searching throughout, you see that you still have distinguished between the merits of a hundred undertakings. So this is something we do. We um, distinguish between you know, good and bad or worthy or unworthy or true and false, we make these distinctions. And it's not that that's bad, but um, but when we do that, if we get caught by it, we can, we can divide the world and, and uh, divide ourselves from the world and divide things in the world from each other. And this is, can be a problem. So he says, after that, um, after distinguishing the merits of a hundred undertakings, then you must take the backward step and directly reach the middle of the circle from where light issues forth. So this backward step is a, a common uh, meditation instruction in our family style. It includes Dogen saying, take the backward step that illuminates the self. Um, and uh, so this is kind of basic Zazen instruction. We turn within, we face the wall. Uh, we face ourselves, and we take this, uh, as it's sometimes called the backward step, where we, where we as Dokken says, to study the way is to study the self. We, we just observe and pay attention to uh, what's happening here, now, this body-mind, thoughts and feelings, sensations. Um, we don't try and escape from those. We don't ha- do anything with them or hang on to them either. So the point is not to be caught by our thoughts and feelings and ideas and so forth. And then to come back to what he, he, he talks about this in many places, to reach the middle of the circle, the circle of brightness, uh, the source from where awareness arises. Continuing uh, in the passage, outstanding and, inter- and independent, still you must abandon con- pretexts for merit. So this is important throughout our lineage, not to try and get something from our practice. Not, you know, and, and of course, that's a natural human tendency. We all like to be appreciated. We all like to, you know, we're taught to progress, to make, to, you know, go from one grade to the other, to get 
you know, great, good grades or whatever to develop our resumes, you know, all of these pretexts for merit. Um, and it's not that that's necessarily bad if we're, if we're not caught by them, but if we think, if we believe that that's who we are, uh, there's a problem. So he says to, you must abandon pretexts for merit. Carefully discern that naming engenders beings is part of the eightfold path or the twelvefold chain of causation, and that these rise and fall with intricacy. When you can share yourself, then you may manage affairs and you have the pure seal that stamps the 10,000 forms. So in, along with taking the backward step and studying the self, Hongzhe and, and throughout the lineage, there's an emphasis on sharing our awareness, share, expressing uh, this uh, sense of the ultimate that is that is there in our in our zazen and that is part of our lives. So there's a an emphasis by Hongzhe on response. It's not enough to just turn within. We then uh, emerge and respond. Continuing, traveling the world, meeting conditions, the self joyfully enters samadhi in all delusions and accepts its function, which is to empty out the self so as not to be full of itself. Uh, so this uh, this word samadhi, uh, I talked a lot about yesterday, but I, to say more, it's a technical term in early Buddhism. It refers to concentration, the aspect of our meditation where we focus and concentrate on some particular meditation object. And there are, in the sutras, there are pages and pages of names of different kinds of samadhi. Dogen refers to some of them, um, and including the self-fulfillment samadhi, which is which is which has to do with accepting its function, which is right here in this passage. Um, but also samadhi is, in East Asian Buddhism, just a general term for meditation or zazen. So it, it has that, that um, technical meaning, but it's also just a, a reference to meditation in general. Um, and then, you know, so uh, Hongzhe says to accept its function, Dharma, uh, Dogen talks about this in terms of uh, occupying one's Dharma position, one's situation, and, and with that, which is to empty out the self so as to not be full of itself. The empty valley, and then uh, Hongzhe talks has these nat- this nature imagery, which is a metaphor, which is literal in terms of the, the world of nature around us, but it's also a metaphor for our, for our awareness and unfolding of this. Buddha mind. So he says, the empty valley receives the clouds. The cold stream cleanses the moon, not departing and not remaining far beyond all the changes. You can give teachings without attainment or expectations. Again, without trying to attain anything, just to be natural, like the uh, like the empty valley receiving the clouds. I was once uh, camped out in the mountains in, in the Rockies in Colorado and um, caught one day, one morning climbed up to the top of one of the, of the peaks near us and looking out as the sun rose, you could see clouds arising from the valleys, mists arising from the valleys and forming clouds. It was beautiful. Uh, so this is something that happens. The empty valley receives the clouds. The cold stream cleanses the moon. So the moon is reflected in the stream. 
the moon, which is the hope, which is in Zen, the full moon, the round moon, which represents our wholeness, um, is is in this is um, uh, reflected in the stream. But this also refers to our can might refer to our stream of think thoughts and feelings, which uh, also reflect the wholeness of the moon. Uh, not departing, not remaining, far beyond all the changes. You can give teachings without attainments or expectations. As I said, everything everywhere comes back to the olden ground. Not a hair has been shifted, bent, or raised up. Despite a hundred uglinesses or a thousand stupidities, the upright cauldron is naturally beneficent. So this cauldron is an image in, in Chinese literature it's in the I Ching it's uh, uh, the place where you know there's an alchemical aspect of it it's the place it's it's as we sit there's this cauldron of our body mind and uh, a lot of things are happening there <laughs> that we don't necessarily observe this alchemical aspect of our zazen practice over time um, and then he refers to Jiaozhou or Joshu a great a great uh, uh, teacher uh, the great ancestral teacher of the 800s, not officially in our lineage, but Zhao Zhou is, kind, is kind of in all Zen lineages. Um, he was so great that his lineage, his own lineage didn't, didn't continue because nobody could surpass him. He had a couple of disciples, but Zhao Zhou's answers, and these are particular koans or teaching stories, wash out your bowl and drink your tea, do not require making arrangements. From the beginning, they have always been perfectly apparent. Thoroughly observing each thing with the whole eye is a patro of monks' spontaneous conduct. Uh, so Hongzhi talks about a patro of monks because that's he's talking to monks. But you know, for our purposes, we could read patro of monk as sincere, dedicated practitioners. So uh, this refers can refer to all may refer to all of us. Just to say briefly, these two stories that he refers to: wash out your bowl and drink your tea. Um, the story, I'll tell you the stories. A monk comes to see Zhao Zhou. And Zhao Zhou says, have you had breakfast? And the monk says, yes. And Zhao Zhou says, wash out your bowl. So this is a wonderful teaching about Zazen practice. Have you had breakfast? Okay, wash your bowl. Take care of uh, your awareness, take care of uh, all the all the details around you. The other story, and there's a lot more to say about each of these stories, of course, but these are both in the uh, Gateless Barrier collections, koan collections, and in others, I think, this Book of Serenity, too. The, others, the other quote he has is, drink your tea. And uh, this story, this is another story. Um, one monk comes to see Zhao Zhou and uh, and Jaja says, have you been here before? Uh, and the monk says, no. And Jaja says, please have some tea. Another monk comes and Jaja asks, have you been here before? And, this, and the monk says, yes. And he says, please have some tea. So then his attendant who's standing by says to him, those monks responded differently, but you still said, um, just have some tea. And uh, Jaja said to the attendant, Please have some tea. So um, anyway, these old teaching stories are uh, 
can help help us uh, illuminate our own practiced body. Um, I want to read a few more, and then we will have discussion and uh, welcome your comments or questions. Um, this one is on page 48, and I gave it the name of Plowshare on the Shining Field. From the outset, Patra monks or sincere practitioners have this field that is a clean, spacious, broad plain. So he talks about the empty field that we are in the center of, that is all things. Um, getting a, getting a, gazing ahead beyond any precipitous barriers, Hongzhi continues, within the field, they plow the clouds and sow the moon. This is a wonderful exp- expression. Uh, clouds is, a, is, a ref- is also a reference to monks who are called unsui, clouds and waters in, in Japanese, but it's also, um, you know, we can see all of these as literally nature, nature images, plowing the clouds, sowing the moon. Again, the moon also refers to is the moon itself, but it also refers to wholeness and awakening. Um, Suzuki Roshi, um, my teacher's teacher, had a, a writing above his door that, that said cloud driver. <laughs> so, um, uh, again, to plow the clouds to fertilize the the practitioners, to sow the moon, to share awakening with everyone is implied here. Um, with clear, bright understanding, vast and expansive, the true self accepts its function. Again, accepting its function refers to the self-fulfillment samadhi or, or occupying one's donor position, whether emerging or disintegrating, whether in a position of receiving or releasing. Directly perform the same workings as earth and heaven, or um, which is yin and yang, uh, the receptive and the active aspects of reality in in ourselves, arising and dispersing along with the 10,000 forms. Lofty and majestic. Where do they come from? Still in solitude, where do they go? So we are told that the empty sky cannot encompass it. The grass earth cannot uphold it. So ultimate reality is vast beyond the sky, beyond earth. Um, Subtly existing beyond shapes, perfectly empty beyond names, the merit of being and non-being is exhausted. The path the paths of the worldly and the sages are transcended. So he also talks about this, this the um, complementarity or the oneness of the um, the worldly people and the sages, and that uh, cultivated people, awakened people, don't uh, abandon worldly people, but are right there amid worldly people. In another passage, he talks about. Right in, right amidst, amidst the worldly is the place of nirvana. Um, and he continues, then you have the opportunity to go home. Just then, what do you, what do you know? For 150,000 acres, you can see the cold, pure, shining snow. Observing this well, one can be a strong plowman 
following the clouds. So this this uh, brief sentence says, then you have the opportunity to go home. So uh, we take refuge in Buddha Dharma Sangha. This is a basic uh, practice in most Buddhist lineages. We take refuge, which could be read as returning home. We return home to Buddha, to Dharma, the teachings of reality, and to Sangha, which is the community, our communion with each other and all beings. So uh, to take refuge is to return home. He says in the, in the passage I read before that that it can't be that the that awareness cannot awakening cannot be dispensed. I cannot tell any of you how to be Buddha. Each of you, in your own way, completely expresses Buddha. You may not realize it, and you may get caught up by all of your karmic afflictions, your grasping, your anger, your confusion. And yet, uh, somehow, Buddha, awakeness is there. And how we unfold that or express that, each of us in our own particular situation, is it, uh, differs. It's, it's particular. We each have our own way of being whole. And it's not static either. It's dynamic and alive and shifting. So uh, Buddha, when he became the Buddha, did not stop practicing and he did not stop awakening. Every day he practiced and awakened again. So, um, uh, yeah, I'm going to read another one. Actually, it's the very next one again on page 49. And this is um, particularly relevant to us since we this is ancient dragons end gate and sometimes we refer to each other as dragons and uh this is dragon meditation except uh, well he, he talks about it in terms of the nagas he's he he doesn't use the chinese character here for dragon there is a character ryu um but um here he tra- uses a transliteration for nagas so uh, this is kind of um background uh nagas is the indian form of dragons uh there were there was a maybe there were a di- it was a slightly different species of dragon in china um and then of course the the dragons that were around in europe are seen as malevolent you know king george had to saint george had to kill a dragon or whatever but in uh buddhist uh context in india and in china and japan Dragons are seen as protectors of the Dharma. They they hold a jewel, a Dharma jewel, sometimes in their in their um, under their throat or in or in their uh, mouths. Um, and Nagas. So one of our great um, ancestors in our lineage, and actually he's in almost all Buddha lineages, is Nagarjuna, who was a great Indian philosopher, and, it, uh, and his name is uh, is based on Naga, or, or these Indian dragons. And the Nagas were also said to have, uh, Nagas lived in water, under the water. So some species of dragons apparently live in caves, some of them fly, some of them live under the water. Um, um, and the dragon gate, which our name refers to, is uh, originally was in a, a deep river in China, and fish that swam through, swam through it would become dragons. 
So I like to think that maybe there's a dragon gate in Lake Michigan. Anyway, um, so, um, but also Nagas guarded, in, in India guarded, great ancient teachings that had been lost and that Nagarjuna and others retrieved from the Nagas. Okay, so anyway, this is, that's the background for this, this section called Naga Meditation. He says, being withered and cold in body and mind cleanses and sharpens the field. The dusts are jumbled and then distilled, leaving each realm vacant and bright. So being withered and cold in body and mind, you know, feels to me like a reference to uh, intensive meditation retreats. Some of you have done sessions where you sit for for a day or numbers of days. Um, something happens. You may feel withered and cold in body and mind. So he says, um, the, the dust, the, the afflictions, the, um, our, our delusions are jumbled and then distilled, leaving each realm vacant and bright. The moon in the water reflects the light in the clearing sky. The clouds embrace the mountain with its autumn colors. Whether jet black or lush green, the profound depths have great spirit. They inherent, the inherently illuminated original root is not constrained by the branches and leaves. So in terms of talking about lineages, we also talk about the root, the various roots, and then the branches and leaves. And we, uh, there's a, a group called Branching Streams, which is about the affiliated uh, uh, sanghas for, for San Francisco Zen Center. So there's, there are branching streams. But here he says, um, uh, the inherently illuminated original root, the source, is not constrained by branches and leaves. This is the time and place to leap beyond the 10,000 emotional entanglements of innumerable ages. One contemplation of 10,000 years finally goes beyond all the transitory and you emerge with spontaneity. The clouds travel, traveling in the vacant valley are free, whether moving or tranquil, agreeably enter every sense dust while constantly staying in samadhi concentrated, settled. Therefore, we have been told that Nagas are always in meditation, never apart from this sublime state. So uh, one passage here I want to focus on. This is the time and place to leap beyond the 10,000 emotional entanglements of innumerable ages. So we, we talk about all our ancient twisted karma that we fully avow from body, speech, and mind. So we all have 10,000 entanglements, whether you believe in uh, our a legacy of 10,000 ages or not, even from just all of the uh, months and years we have been alive, we have lots of emotional entanglements. And here he says, this is the time and place to leap beyond these 10,000 emotional entanglements. It doesn't mean to get rid of them or, or crush them. It just means not get caught by them, leap beyond one contemplation of 10,000 years finally goes beyond all the transitory and you emerge with spontaneity. So he talks about this in a few places, uh, co to contemplate the 10,000 years. So uh, Hongzhou is talking about space and how we awaken space, but also time. So uh, this is a particular benefit of Zen teaching and practice. 
this contemplation of the 10,000 years to see this wider sense of time. Of course, there's the fierce urgency of now, as Dr. King talked about, but he also talked about the uh, long arc of history moving towards uh, justice. Um, one contemplation of the 10,000 years. So I've, we've, I've been talking about the ancestors. When we see our, our connection to ancient and recent ancestors, from Shakyamuni to Suzuki Roshi, and also cultural ancestors, from Mozart to Coltrane, if you're a musician. Anyway, um, uh, one contemplation of 10,000 years, he says, finally goes beyond all the transitory and we can emerge with spontaneity. When we have this wide sense of space and time, we can settle and enjoy our inhale and exhale. And that actually helps us to be able to respond more effectively to the situations in our life and our world. So there's a lot here. I, will, I think I'll do one more of these and then we'll have some discussion. Um, which one? Uh, okay, I'll, um, these are all, I think these are all ones that I didn't get to in uh, the three and a half hours yesterday. This is on page 56. It's the next to the last one. It's called The Genuine Field. And this is also kind of long. So I'll comment as I go through it. The primal mind transcends conditioning the primal dharma does not speak, but all Buddhas and all ancestors are not detained here. In the second gate of meaning, that of phenomena and of speech, they engage in dialogue and energy gets aroused, which is instantly extracted and dispensed both to the first class practitioner and the dull person. <laughs> so maybe we're all dull persons, but anyway, um, uh, this this is about um, these two gates. This is important. There's uh, in early Buddhist teaching, uh, Mahayana teaching, there's the teaching of two truths. There's the ultimate, and then there is um, what, do you, what does he say here? The second gate of meaning, which includes phenomena and speech. So even though ultimately, you know, the ultimate teaching is silence. We uh, sometimes talk a lot and read a lot of texts, and all of that encourages us to return to silence. Um, so, this second, this the first truth is this ultimate universal awareness, which we get a glimpse of when we settle into zazen. Sometimes we don't notice it, but we kind of soak in it. Sometimes we get a, a, a big jolt of it. <laughs> that can happen, that happens sometimes. But um, as Suzuki Roshi said when he lived in San Francisco, walking through Golden Gate Park in the mist, my robes gradually get wet. <laughs> so this, uh, this, what's important is just to continue, Sazen, to sustain a regular practice because how this works happens over time. So here he says, uh, so this is talking about the second gate of meaning. So there's the ultimate truth, which I was just speaking of, and then there's the conventional truth, the conventional reality that we honor. When the light turns red, we stop. When the light turns green, we can go. Uh, we don't uh, ignore or deny this conventional reality. 
So this conventional truth. So he's talking about that here. So we do. So I do sit up here and babble sometimes. Uh, but, you know, there are stories about teachers just going up to give a talk and then just sitting there silently. Vimalakirti is like that. Great uh, bodhisattva who supposedly lived in Buddha's time. So uh, this is the second gate, phenomena and speech. They engage in dialogue and energy is aroused, which is instantly extracted and dispensed. Therefore, Deshaun, one of the, another great ancestor, not in our lineage, says that our school no lang- our school has no language and also has not a single dharma for anyone. Um, numbers of great Zen teachers have said this. There's nothing to teach. There's no dharma. And yet the dharma, we, we take refuge, we return home to the dharma as well as Buddha and Sangha. Uh, Hongzha continues, originally the people arrived in the truth themselves and affirmed it themselves. Then they began to discuss it only in order to straighten up and clean out forthrightly obsessive thinking and distraction. So we're, we are all caught by obsessive thinking at times. How do we uh, straighten it out, not get caught by it? If such contamination is purified, then vast radiance without barriers has no middle or edge, circling and spreading out. The light is glistening white, its illumination pervading the ten directions. Then he says, sit in meditation and entirely cut off causes and conditioning and language of the three times. Reaching this, you cannot attach to a single dust mote, a a single affliction, a single uh, distraction. Only in this silent serenity is the self known, full-spirited, in its own glory, no stranger to sages, not diminished with, with worldly people. From the beginning, only this is the single affair of the old home our teaching tradition. How can you possibly attain anything outside yourself? So we, we, um, he's talking about, of course, we can be inspired by ancestors and teachers, but basically it's nothing is outside ourselves. Maybe I could add there's nothing inside ourselves either. It's just all right here. This is called the genuine field where awakening Awakened people immediately can respond to the 10,000 changes and enter every realm, wondrously func- wondrous function and spiritual penetration naturally go without any obstruction at all. So this is an important sentence. Uh, spiritual penetration, great insight, turning within, seeing wholeness and reality and the fullness of awakening is not... Um, is not obstructed, does not obstruct and is not obstructed by wondrous function, by our bodhisattva activity of supporting and relieving the suffering of all the beings. This is, we all know this is hard work and we are in difficult times, but there is this wondrous function. We can't necessarily figure it out, but when we settle into this deeper awareness, uh, somehow we can express that. So 
uh, that's maybe enough. Maybe it's too much to give you on a Sunday morning. But um, uh, if anyone has questions or comments on any of the particular passages or on just this whole process, uh, please feel free. David Ray, I can't see all the people because because of my limited iPad screen. So if you would please call on people, you can raise your hand or you can go to the participant window and hit raise hands there. I see that Jan's hand is raised. Jan, hi. Hi, Tagan. Um, I'm wondering if Laura, we could hear from Laurel before she leaves, if she wants to say something. Gershon. Um, thank you for your talk, Tagan. I don't really have anything to say at this point. Thank I, you. I, I'm sorry, Laurel. I thought maybe you wouldn't. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, uh, then let me say what I was thinking of. Um, uh, I went to the orchid show, and um, there was a fringed orchid there, but it was not, uh, I don't think it was a wild orchid. And, um, and uh, but at the orchid show, the thing I learned the most was that um, the way orchids propagate is um, a, an orchid seed is like a speck of dust. It doesn't have any endosperm. And as uh, an orchid will produce 3 million seeds uh, in a pod. These get carried away in the air and they go to every place on earth because they are just like little motes of dust. And when they get to a certain place where there is the ability or there is the conditions for them to grow and thrive, the conditions have to be in the place where they land. They don't bring it with them. And as a result, orchids are found everywhere on earth. And it was really a wonderful show. And, and the, there were three little cups of seeds showing that orchid seeds are just specks of dust. Anyway, this reminded me so much of um, Tigans when, when he first started talking about um, the here and the now, and um, you you grow in you grow where you land or something like that. Anyway, mm-hmm. I I was really inspired by the orchid show, and um, I recommend it for everybody. It's up at the botanic garden now, and and then I wanted to say one other thing. Uh, Please. I live on the lakefront, and one day when it was, it, it had started to freeze. The lake had started to freeze. And I looked out, and I saw the lake glittering. And, and I thought, oh, there's little ice crystals forming on the lake. And they catch the sun, and then a little wave comes by, and their orientation changes, and they disappear but they're still there, but they do send out a little ray of light. So I picked up my binoculars and looked out at the lake, and there were millions of them that I couldn't see without the binoculars. Um, it was just such a nice experience. And that's what I want to say today so far. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, and I appreciate what you said about orchids. I love orchids. Hongsha talks about orchids. 
in cultivating the empty field. This is a passage I read yesterday, but I'll read it again now, or part of it. Uh, it's on page 53 for those who are following. The top people of the way, that's all of us, journey through the world responding to conditions, carefree and without restraint, like clouds finally raining, like moonlight following the current, like orchids growing in shade, like spring arising in everything. They act without mind, they respond with certainty. This is how developed people behave. I like that image of orchids growing in shade and spring arising in everything. Here in February, at least in Chicago, it's uh, pretty cold. <laughs> but we're looking forward to spring. And when spring happens, it's arising in everything. <laughs> we go outside and we see uh, fl- grass growing. We see flowering trees. We see leaves on the trees. We, but we also feel it in ourselves, the spring arising in everything. So, uh, yeah, the natural world is, we, we are the natural world. Remember that song, uh, June is busting out all over? Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's it. <laughs> so thank you, Jen. Other questions, comments, responses, David? Uh, Jane's hand is up. Oh, hi, Jane. We have a couple of Janes. This is the Jane in Pittsburgh where I grew up. Right. Yeah. Um, um, thanks so much for this continuing discussion. Um, I didn't quite know what to expect today, but I thought, well, I would show up and see. And so, you know, it's just wonderful to get through these. I, I, I've i been at it for almost a year. I've been studying this in Pittsburgh. And to have you um, inform the conversation the way you do is just, it just adds a whole nother dimension for, the, for me personally. Anyway, thanks so much. And um, thanks, everyone, for, for practicing today. It's been a while since I've sat on a Sunday morning with a group, so it's really great. Um, here's my percolation for the morning. Um, there's a number of words that come up throughout this book. And... Um, they 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 relate for me in a, in a kind of curious way, but let me just say them and then you, we can talk about them. Um, spontaneity, wisdom, functioning, and bringing that into the world, so to speak, or I forget what I said or whatever the the, the expression. Um, of functioning, I guess, as we turn around, shall I say, from our sitting on the cushion and be, you know, post-meditation kind of thing. People talk about this in different ways, and of course, so does does Hong Zhu. Um, Anyway, I'm curious about this business about it, it, it is a spontaneous arising of sorts. And I'm curious about the word wisdom, though it comes up, we don't talk about it a whole lot or haven't. And is wisdom enlightenment? I mean, is that the expression of the source? And if so, 
when I turn around and bring myself and functioning into the world, and it's in a spontaneous manner, I'm kind of troubling or struggling with how this all kind of works. And if they are, if they are um, interrelated, um, and that it's not related to our intellect so much. Thank you. Yes, I, I want. Thanks. I, I do want to speak about each of those four words you mentioned, or maybe there were more, but there were four I wrote down. Um, but, but first, I have to ask you: are, Do you? Uh, I know a couple of teachers and teachers in in Pittsburgh. Do you practice with? Have you practiced with any teacher? Oh well, yeah, um, Catherine. Um, okay. Catherine's definitely on the list, and um, she's you know it's a pretty informal little sangha. And since COVID, it's just been difficult. And we have had this conversation. This is where we're having our, it's like a Monday evening discussion group. And it's about about this book. Yeah, Um, one of our regular Sangha members is from Pittsburgh also. Um, And uh, yeah, I know Catherine. She's my younger Dharma sister. She was ordained by my teacher. Um, Yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if you could stay afterwards, I'm curious where in Pittsburgh you are. And, you know, okay. I don't, don't get a chance to talk about Pittsburgh so much. But let me go back to the words you were asking about. Um, spontaneity, that does have to do with what you were saying about it's not just intellectual. It's not something that we figure out. It's something that emerges uh, as we settle as we look. So wisdom is related. Wisdom, uh, prajna, can also be translated as insight. Wisdom is not the same as knowledge. It's not, wisdom is not something that comes from reading lots of books or going to lots of Dharma talks. Wisdom is um, insight to see what's, to see suchness, to see what's happening right in front of us, to have insight into the immediacy of this just this. So um, uh, in in terms of the transcendent practices, there's, one is wisdom, prajna paramita, another one is jnana paramita, knowledge, and they're separate, they're different. They're related, of course, but wisdom is about um, just seeing what is, just seeing mm-hmm. the suchness of right now and responding from that. So you, you, the other words you used, function, yeah, the point isn't to get some understanding or some fancy experience. Some branches of Zen seem to emphasize, you know, you have to have some special experience or reach some special mental state or awareness. And, you know, as, as Hongsha says and Dogen says, it's not about, and, and Shuto says, it's not about, you know, uh, uh, stupid or, or, or bright people. It's, it's, it's right here in each of us. So this this wisdom is, um, you know, can develop over time. So again, to just to continue to show up in zazen helps unfold this. But it's not that there's some essential thing that you get and then you have it. It's this insight that is a function that we all, that is right. It is always right here, right now. And as we settle. Um, it, in and in, in our meditation practice, 
Uh, so uh, the sixth ancestor, one of my favorite parts of that sutra about him, um, which has some, anyway, uh, is that samadhi and prajna are one. So settling samadhi, meditation, concentration, and prajna, insight, emerge together. Mm -hmm. uh, this is an experience that many people who have specific creative activities are aware of. I know that when I'm, uh, you know, when I'm in the middle of a writing project, uh, sometimes and I'm sitting, a, whole, a sentence or a paragraph will show up. Um, mm -hmm. So this is not about, this is about this insight and something that emerges in our settling. Oh, so, or, or if you're work, if you're working with some teaching story or some particular problem in your life, when we settle and continue to settle, sometimes we have some glimpse of some something that is helpful. So, uh, wisdom and function are totally uh, together, and expression is about this functioning. But one one of the things I mentioned yesterday is that. Uh, there's a definite continuity between Hongzhi's meditation practice and Dogen's. Uh, in some ways, you know, a lot of scholars will folk, will try and analyze some difference between them, which is, I think is silly. But um, uh, it, if I had to say anything, it would be that Dogen's uh, meditation teaching and, and his teaching in general, in a little bit more than Hongzhi emphasizes expression. So, but it's there in, in Hongzhi as well, of course, as you just said. So I hope that helps. Mm -hmm. Yes. Great. Thank you. So um, other questions or comments? We still have a bit of time. Yes, Mark's hand is up. Hey, Mark. Good morning. Thank you for allowing me to join you. Um, you just answered the question. Well, well hold on a second, Mark. I just yes. wanted to say to you and to Jane and to anybody else who's new, Please come again. You're welcome to uh, to practice in uh, in our Zoom world. We're going to be starting in person sitting soon. I'll mention that in announcements. But we will also continue to have Zoom uh, 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 online events, and there are people here from all kinds of places. So, anyway, go ahead, Wonderful. Mark. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, you just answered uh, the question, I think, sort of when you referred to Dogen. I was going to say that um, I, I saw a lot of Tukan Zenji and Bendoa and Uji and even reading a sutra uh, and maybe even Ancient Mirror in a lot of these sections yes. that you just read this morning. I'm sorry I missed yesterday. That sounds like it would have been wonderful. Anything you might want to say about that? Thank you so much. Yeah, well, you know, there's a there's a through line, a connection throughout our family style, throughout the ancestors. So all of the translations and commentaries and the ten books I've done are all about um, how when when I first when I first had zazen instruction, I had this some just personally, I had this sense of wholeness, uh, and I knew this is it, and I've continued every you know doing everyday practice. Um, but also my teacher at the time, who was a Japanese Soto priest in New York City, talked about Dogen together with Zazen instruction. So um, and there were there were only some really bad translations of Dogen around then. Actually, I was going to say something else about translation, so I will. But um, um, all of the things I've done have been trying to figure, trying to understand where Dogen comes from. So. You know, Dogen is, it was influenced by 
Japanese poetic traditions. Dogen is certainly influenced by the sutras. Dogen is totally influenced by the uh, the koan lexicon, all the different teaching stories. There, there were different, or many, many, many different koan collections that were available to Dogen, uh, and he was a master of them. He introduced the koans to Japan. Um, and, but you know, going back to Shoto or Sekito and Dongshan, uh, the founder, the founders in China, there's this total, there's definitely this through line of teaching and and practice. Uh, throughout, you know, coming up to Suzuki Roshi and, and now beyond. Um, so, yeah, that's um, why I did this. This was the first book I did, and I, um, I was inspired by a, a, just a tiny passage in one of Thomas Cleary's books, Time on Spring. And I talked yesterday about some of the other material that's now available about Hongzhou. So um, I was going to do this in the announcements, but I'll say it now. Um, the long three and a half hour seminar yesterday was, um, you know, uh, available by registration. It was partly a fundraiser for Ancient Dragon. But if any of you are interested in getting a uh, the recording for that, uh, you can uh, go to Ancient Dragon and sign up and uh, please make some donation. And we suggested fifty dollars, but at sliding scale, ten dollars is fine. But if you write info at ancient dragon info at ancient dragon dot org no wait is it yeah i guess that's it um uh, email that and uh and and make some donation and we can send you the link to the three and a half hours of of uh my babbling and some comments by others about hongsha from yesterday so uh just to say that to those of you who were not there yesterday so thank you, Mark. Yeah, definitely connection between Hongzhou and Dogen. Other, uh, we have time for one or two or so more comments or questions. David Ray, is there anybody? I believe, I believe Dylan has a question. Good. Hi, Dylan. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Okay, great. Uh, so these, yeah, these um, Hongzhou translations are such a huge inspiration to me. Um, this morning, I think the section that was really popping out was uh, that there's there's uh, no single dharma to teach, uh, or not a single dharma for anyone, and it made me think of um, uh, uh, Suzuki Roshi talking about the precepts coming before Buddha, if I remember right. And I I don't know I don't understand like why could you are those connected at all or can you can you say anything about that does that why is one reminding me of the other? Well, what Hongzhou is talking about, what Dogen talks about, what Suzuki Roshi talks about in terms of the precepts. Hi, am I? Um, is um, that this is this is uh, the reality from the beginning. Uh, you don't, of course, it's, it's really helpful to have a Sangha and a teacher to help because it's very easy if you're just practicing on your own to get off, you know, to go off balance, to get off center, to, um, you know, there are various ways we can get distracted or obsessed or whatever. That said, the, the, the fundamental, the source, the, the, this ultimate reality is always present. And and the precepts are part of that ultimate reality. Um, you know, we we we've in 
Japanese Soto and in, in our traditions in America, based on that, we have a, a formulation of 16 precepts that were put together by Dogen, but they're all from earlier sources. So the sense of, this is important, this has to do with the function that uh, Hongzhou talks about, or the expression, or the response. So this, this it's, it's not enough to turn the light within and realize the originals and connect with the ultimate source. The ultimate source is here from the very beginning. It's always here. Um, and yet, how do we express it? How do we respond to the aches in our body as we're sitting or to the um, difficulties of our friends and family or to all of the troubles of the world and the suffering in the world? So, so this is about, so this function of this fundamental uh, circle of brightness, as Hongzhou talks about it, is about how we respond, and that changes, given causes and conditions, given our own dharma position. So, you know, Buddhism shifted in different cultures when it moved from India to China and Tibet, when it moved from China to Korea and Japan, as it has moved in the last half century or century, depending on, you know, <laughs> where, which, what you want to look at. Uh, in uh, the West, in, in America. And uh, so our American Zen is already, you know, based on, here I'm talking about all these old stories from China. And, and it, you know, we can look at, we have all these funny Japanese words like Zazen and Doan, and, you know. But um, uh, we already, our way of practicing because we're not Japanese. I mean, excuse me, some of you may be Japanese but, but uh, of ancestry, but we um, are Westerners. So we're conditioned by, you know, Western psychology, Western religion. Uh, so I was going to talk about translation. Maybe that's relevant here. Uh, I said yesterday that uh, I told the story about how cultivating the empty field was originally my master's thesis at uh, California Institute of Integral Studies at San Francisco. And I thought I had finished it. And I, I, I had help with a Chinese professor there, Yi Wu, who's a wonderful uh, scholar of philosophy. But I took it to my thesis advisor, and I thought I'd translate it, this, these practice instructions. And he looked, he, I went to see him to see, to see what he had to say. And he said to me, this is no good, start over. So I told this story yesterday. Um, and that was very helpful because I, ha I had to look at the meaning, not the words. So translation, especially translate. Well, I, I would say translation of any poetry, translation of Zen material, is a kind of art. There's to put it into English or whatever language you're translating into. Some of my books have been translated into Dutch or German. Now I don't know. Anyway, uh, Spanish. Somebody's doing anyway. Um, uh, uh, it's not enough to make a literal word-by-word -word translation. One has to find how to express the meaning in, in the new language. Um, and yet, um, uh, you know, there's, there, there's literal translation, there's faithful translation. Um, so I've done translation with a few different people now, native speakers. Um, and I've looked at different translations, and there are some really bad translations of Dogen, and there are many good good translations. Um, but um, 
Some of them are very different because it involves interpretation. But uh, particularly when I was doing translations with Shohaku Okamura, uh, I translated a couple of different Dogen works in, in when I was living in Japan and going to his temple. And then in, in San Francisco, we translated Dogen's extensive record, Ehikoroku, which is the other major work of Dogen's besides Shobogenzo. It's an interesting process because we would look at, I would, I would look at the Chinese characters and I could, you know, work from that. Although I'm not fluent in Chinese or Japanese at all, but I can, you know, work with the characters. And, uh, Sometimes, and, and what the process was that Shohaku would look at a passage and say what he thought it said, what it meant. And I would look at the Chinese characters and ask questions about it. But sometimes he said, he would be stuck. He would say, I don't understand this. And he would just sit there. And, and then I would try and, you know, look at the characters and, and 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 make guesses at well this doesn't this mean this or that and he would sometimes say no it couldn't mean that because of this particular you know co- context from buddhism or japanese or whatever and sometimes we'd spend hours literally just sitting there with working over one passage but then this happened numbers of times we would go back and look at it very literally and suddenly it made sense and the meaning was clear. So, um, uh, particularly with Dogen, whose who, who's writing is, you know, his original writing is difficult for Japanese people, too. He was writing in, a, you know, an old form of Japanese. It's like our reading uh, English Chaucer or Beowulf or something. Um, that um, uh, the meaning is that, that, that it's possible to get the meaning correctly, and also be very faithful to the original language. Um, but, but also good translations of Dogen by people like Norman Waddell or Tom Cleary or, or Shohaku or Kaz Tanahashi. Um, you might look at two uh, translations of the same material and see something that looks really different. <laughs> but both are part of what's, what's being said. So uh, that's a long way of talking about uh, the difficulty uh, of, I forget what you said that inspired this one, but, uh, you know, words like faith, the English word faith, faith is very important to Dogen and to Soto Zen practice, but it doesn't mean what we in the West often mean by faith, which is belief in some doctrine or belief in some deity. Faith is more like something that comes from within, this trust or confidence. So um, anyway, that's a long-winded response. <laughs> Thank you, Sagan. Sure. Um, time for one more comment or, or response or question. David Ray. Hmm. I don't see a hand, but I have a question. Okay, you're up. Okay. Um, great. So um, I have a question about uh, a kind of poetic figure that recurs in both of the guideposts by Hongja and it's also in the Jewel Mirror Samadhi. And it's, it's, a, it's a series of images of one white thing against another white thing, right? So it's the, in the Jewel Mirror Samadhi, it's the, 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 the silver bowl covered with snow and the moon concealing the heron because white is against white. And, and then in, in, in the guideposts, it's the, the, the snow-covered pine and the mist. And so it seems like these poems are intently trying to say there is some, there's something in this image 
of white objects against against white objects. And I was thinking of it when uh, when Jan was talking about the, the the Dharma dust of orchid seeds and and the and the light sparkling on the on the lake. But um, I mean, I could think of some things that it could mean. It, it, it could be like mind mind and Dharma, consciousness and Dharma, you know, phenomenal and and absolute. And maybe you'll say it's all the above and and, and sit with it. But I'm wondering, is, is there, does the tradition say something about what these images are getting at? Yes. So um, one way to look at that is in terms of Sekito's harmony of difference and sameness. Um, but also it's in the Joel Mary Samadhi, uh, you referenced a passage. Well, excuse me, the white heron in the moon or the snow in a silver bowl is a reference to a particular story. <laughs> about Nagarjuna and his, his successor, Kanadeva. Uh, I could go into that story, but um, the point is um, the same but different, both. Oneness and many. Uh, in Genja Koan, the first part talks about leaping beyond the many and the one. So this is this goes back to this basic dialectic uh, maybe an appropriate word. That's the that's fundamental in all of Soto Zen, and it's expressed in the five degrees, or sometimes called the five ranks. So there's a chapter about that in my book on Dongshan and the practice of suchness. But um, and this goes back to the two truths that I was talking about before. So the ultimate universal insight, as it were, ultimate truth, universal truth. Um, is one side. And then there's the phenomenal world, the world of particulars. And um, when Dogen came back from China to Japan, he said, I, I haven't brought anything except eyes horizontal, nose vertical. So we're all the same in that way, but each one of you I can see now is, is, is very different in some ways. Uh, only Douglas has a white mustache for example. Um, so, um, but all of you, eyes horizontal, nose vertical. So, um, to see the, and, and in terms of the heron hidden in the moon, there's a, and I talked about this, was it yesterday or in a talk recently, about the, um, I think it was a talk last Monday, about the, um, seeing the full moon Against with a, with with the heron or a bird in front, uh, or through through a gauze screen or through ivy. Uh, often, the you know the um, paintings, Sumia paintings of uh, in Japan. There's a moon, but there's something in front of it. So this has to do with the um, particular in the ultimate and vice versa and this fivefold integration. So as I was as I've been saying, the point of our practice is not just to reach some ultimate state, but to have a sense of that and then bring it back into the particulars of our phenomenal world and all its difficulties. So that process of integration, um Dongshan or whomever uh, also was involved in the Joel Mayer Samadhi and the Five Degrees teaching, um, put that together to see that there was a five-fold pattern of how they integrate. There's also a version of this in the Hua Yan or Flower Ornament teaching in China, the fourfold Dharma Dhatu. Anyway, the point is that that 
that image that you were referring to has to do with that uh, polarity and that uh, and so sameness and difference. And I can say a lot more, but maybe that's enough for now. Thank you. So um, next in our program is um, we're going to do the four bodhisattva vows, then announcements. Okay. Yes, yes. So I will share the screen. Um, if you're not muted, uh, please do mute so that we can chant uh, in chant together. It's kind of paradoxical. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. Thank you, David. So um, we will have a regular service with a chant, uh, one of a chant from one of uh, Hongshu's verses, uh, in, after announcements. But just to do announcements, um, uh, and there's a, a number of them, so I'll try and keep it brief. But again, just as I mentioned, if any of you um, want to receive the whole uh, three and a half hour. A recording of yesterday's seminar. If you weren't there, you can just write to email info at ancientdragon.org. Other announcements. Uh, well, tomorrow night, Howard Duan, who's one of our practitioners from Hyde Park and, and one of our chaplains, will be talking. Uh, next Sunday, very exciting, uh, there will be some, some of us, some people returning to Ebenezer Lutheran Church, where we practiced for a month or so last year. Um, and um, so we'll be doing Sunday morning and not next Monday, but uh, pretty soon Mondays also um, uh, at Ebenezer Lutheran Church. So look at the website for more information. But the good news about this, for those of you who've been there, uh, is that we have now one room where we're going to be doing both Sunday morning and Monday evening. It's up on the third floor, but it, we can leave it set up with cushions out. Uh, through the week, so we won't have to be trying to uh, put, the, put out cushions and, and uh, do it, do all of that every time. So that's next, starting next Sunday. The following Sunday, March 6th, we will have, instead of Sunday morning Dharma talk, we will have a Sangha meeting to talk about all the transitions happening now and how we can support each other in Sangha. Um, 
Let's see. Um, yeah, two other announcements. March twentieth. Hope uh, this we're not. This is not definite yet. Uh, look at the website, but hopefully we will have an all-day sitting at Ebenezer Church. And again, all the sittings at Ebenezer, Sundays, mornings, and Monday evenings, also will be on Zoom. And I'm not going to be there myself, uh, probably for the first month. But uh, for people can still come from Cleveland, where Co is, or wherever you are, uh, Pittsburgh, which, where Jane is. So we'll have both in-person and online events, Sunday morning and Monday evening, and continuing all of our other online online programs. Um, but uh, March 20th, Hogetsu will hopefully help, hopefully lead an all-day sitting at Ebenezer, which will also be available online. And then the last announcement is that the last Sunday in March, March 27th, we'll have a guest teacher, Ray Ring Gumbel, who is the teacher at Milwaukee Zen Center, who is the uh, successor of my Dharma sister, Fu, abbess of at Green Gold Farm. So that's a bunch of announcements. Does anybody else have any announcements? Douglas and Dylan. Oh, go ahead, Dylan. Um, just an invitation for anyone who's in Chicago uh, that if you're uh, excited about getting back to in-person practice and want to help out at Ebenezer, um, please feel welcome. Uh, and we'd love to, um, to, to practice together and, and help uh, set up our practice there. So if you email info at ancientdragon.org, someone will get in touch with you and we'll... Uh, we'll uh, make it happen together. And just to add to that, um, Dylan is our Eno in organizing all the Doans and all the people who help out, and we will need people to help out at, at, at uh, Ebenezer. So if you are interested in doing that, you know, mention that too. Douglas. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, I just wanted to uh, remind people that aside from practicing zazen, uh, two of the important aspects of Zen practice are practicing with other people and especially uh, working with a teacher. Um, it's important to do that and helpful to do that. And we have an unusual opportunity for people to have practice discussions with seven different people. Um, you can do that by um, sending an email to info at ancientdragon.org and asking to speak to a specific person. Uh, the people are listed on our website under the in the leadership section. Uh, there are um, three teachers you can have Dokusan with. You could have, meet with Taigen or Asia Nancy Easton or Nyozan Eric Shutt. Or you could speak with uh, one of the practice leaders listed on the website, uh, me, or Gyoshin Laurel Ross, who was here a little bit and had to leave early, or Hogetsu Lori Belzer, or Shudo Paulo Lazars. Um, it's this is it's not. Uh, I mean, this is it can be whatever you want the discussion to be. Uh, practical questions about uh, I'm having pain in my legs, or what are alternative ways to sit, or I'm having a problem with my sitting. What is going on here? anything, and it does not have to be some incredibly profound or very zenny kind of conversation, but I urge you to do it, and do it as regularly as you can to help you with your practice. Thank you. Any other announcements? 
Well, now we'll have our closing service with that David Ray will lead with a uh, chant from Hongzhou and with our well-being list. So thank you, David. Yes. Thank you, Taigen. Uh, please, again, do make sure you're muted, and I'll share the, the screen first for the uh, repentance verse, which we'll chant three times, and then the, then the Hongzhou guidepost, and then the uh, well-being list. Let's see. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind. I now fully avow. Guidepost for the hall of pure bliss. By seeking appearances and sounds, one cannot truly find the way. The deep source of realization comes with constancy, bliss, self, and purity. Its purity is constant, its bliss is myself. The two are mutually dependent, like firewood and fire. The self's bliss is not exhausted. Constant purity has no end. Deep existence is beyond forms. Wisdom illuminates the inside of the circle. Inside the circle, the self vanishes, neither existent nor non-existent. Intimately conveying spiritual energy, it subtly turns the mysterious pivot. When the mysterious pivot finds opportunity to turn, the original light auspiciously appears. When the mind's conditioning has not yet sprouted, how can words and images be distinguished? Who is it that can distinguish them? Clearly understand and know by yourself, whole and inclusive with inherent insight. It is not concerned with discriminative thought. When discriminating thought is not involved, it is like white reed flowers shining in the snow. One beam of light's gleam permeates the vastness. The gleam permeates through all directions from the beginning, not covered or concealed. Catching the opportunity to emerge amid transformations, it flourishes. Following appropriately amid transformations, the pure bliss is unchanged. The sky encompasses it, the ocean seals it, every moment without deficiency, in the achievement without deficiency, inside and outside are interfused. All dharmas transcend their limits, all gates are wide open. Through the open gates are the byways of playful wandering. Dropping off senses and sense objects is like the flowers of our gazing and listening falling away. Gazing and listening are only distant conditions of thousands of hands and eyes. The others die from being too busy, but I maintain continuity. In the wonder of continuity are no traces of subtle identifications. 
Within purity is bliss, within silence is illumination. The house of silent illumination is the hall of pure bliss. Dwelling in peace and forgetting hardship, let go of adornments and become genuine. The motto for becoming genuine, nothing is gained by speaking. The goodness of Vimalakirti enters the gate of non-duality. May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. With full awareness we have chanted the guidepost for the hall of true bliss. We dedicate this merit to our original ancestor in India, great teacher Shakyamuni Buddha, our first woman ancestor, great teacher Maha Prajapati, our first ancestor in China, great teacher Bodhidharma, our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher Ehe Dogen, our first ancestor in America, great teacher Shogaku Shunryu, the perfect wisdom Bodhisattva Manjushri, to the complete recovery from illness of Robin Falk Gones, Carissa Holen Reyes, Vivian Garrett, Bob Finn, David Martz, Susan Hawkinson, Elska Lennox, Allison Snow Wesley and Fred Wesley, the Mercers in Virginia, Judith Burroughs, Catherine Floyd, Michael Weisbrod, Jerry Lazars, Joseph Welch, Stephen Kane, Betsy Delahunt, Anna and Albrecht, Charlotte Iannone, Jacob Blake, Julian Assange, Bill Noels, Jeff Shepard, Mary Shepard, Susan and Albert Easton, Sophia Wolanski, Susanna Taylor, Bill Ollinger, Jeremy Hammond, Jackie Floyd, Rebecca and Cole Lindbergh, Avery Miller, Matt West, Alex Hagen, Marla Weiner, Tom Kell, Jody Kretzman, Joey Wizorik, Lise Farrakian, Leonard Peltier, Carrie Greenspawn, Kinji Kawasaki, Joan Sophie, Herb Cutchins, Joel Orlov, Steve Haloff, Bess Joyner, Kyle D. Wade, Virginia Van Curen, Chris Summers, Dennis Olson, Jim Abrams, Lynn Easton, Jean Annaport, Barbara Matteris, Kate Lamoth, Paul Baker, Jenny Obst, Matt Wolf, Fred Mecklenburg, Ed Bossler, Riel Ho, Iris Besto, Carla Randall, Robert French, Shauna Ellis, Gil Young Sir, Jimmy Carter, Mary Mandarino, Rachel Stein, Norman Hughes, Bart Colopi, Lin Shan Zhang, Zoe Nissa, Brenda Gross, Kathy Fleming, Howard Pollack, Pat Pollack, Faustino Dionisio Jr., Frank Ostaseski, Jeff Bridges, Shoshan Vicky Austin, Peter Overton, Zenshin Florence Kaplow, Kazuaki Tanahashi, Kando Nakajima Roshi, Jarvis Masters and all residents of San Quentin Prison, victims of gun violence, people under drone attack, all in the fracking zones, all facing fire and drought in California, 
all those threatened by the coronavirus throughout the world, the Mapuche indigenous people of Chubut, Patagonia, endangered from mega mining corporations, Amazonian and other indigenous peoples threatened by corporate invasion, the people of Colombia and Palestine suffering from institutional violence, Lake Michigan and the Chicago River, peoples of the Mideast, and to all those who are lacking shelter, food, or safety, are suffering from physical or emotional distress, or are exposed to violence of any kind. And to the fulfillment of practice of all sanghas throughout the world, gratefully we offer this virtue to all beings. All Buddhas throughout space and time, all honored ones, bodhisattvas, mahasattvas, wisdom beyond wisdom, maha prajna paramita.